Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your hosts, Oxygen Advantage founder Patrick McKeown and Daniel Paulson. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. So Caroline McKenna and her Instagram is a county down under. And when I looked at it first, I was kind of saying, okay. And then I realized the significance of it. Quite a cool name. So you're a little bit out there, Caroline. And I'm kind of intrigued to know all about you. And in terms of the message, because I do think you have a really, really unique message to be putting out there. You know, in terms of breathing, you're into cold water immersion. You're also a teacher. If I, and I, I wish I had somebody when I was in school, and it's a long time ago, it's about 25, 30 years ago, it's even more, 30 years plus. And I would love to have had a teacher who understood about bringing a stillness to the mind and teaching kids about the resilience of stress and all those things that go with it. Um, it wasn't to be, but uh, welcome. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's so lovely to be on here and to be able to talk about something that is so important right now. And at the moment, I'm back in Ireland and it's never been more confronting for me the importance of mental health and how we really need to to make some changes around here. Um, Being in Australia the past seven years, it's very clear to me that they're about 10 years ahead in terms of where they are with mental health strategies and coping with their mental health. And it doesn't just come down to the sunny beaches. It's all about the work that you do and the inner work that you do. So my goal is to try and, you know, try and teach those Australian strategies that I've learned and help people that are struggling um, throughout the world, you know, through my experiences. So it's really lovely to be on here. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And I'm always intrigued. Ireland is a bit behind, to be honest with you. And like I even see it with our own work. Only about 5% of our work is here in Ireland and 95% is overseas. Well, why do you think that we're, we're kind of, if I use the term laggards, is it because maybe of our colonial past? And I know I don't want to go in that too much, but we've kind of this, uh, you know, is it a sinister? Not a sinister attitude. I don't want to say the wrong thing either. What do you think maybe that's what's holding us back? Are we a little bit skeptical? We have always got that kind of mindset of, oh, sure, you'll be grand, you know. Um, sure. We're tough hearted, us Irish, and um, we've been through so much that we try not to complain about our problems. And one of the the many quotes that I hear from many Irish around here is, if you put all of your problems into a pile, you'd soon take your own back. But what we need to now start doing is what the Australian method is, is that doesn't mean that your problem isn't any less significant than someone else's. And I think we need to start focusing on that a little bit. I know growing up for me, um, you know, I we used to have a school counsellor in our school. Now, you would never have known who that school counsellor was. They came in once a fortnight. I knew that there was a little room that they would shove the, the school counsellor in and you don't ever ask for the school counsellor. You know, there's definitely this stigma and taboo. We're definitely getting there and we're starting to talk about it more, which is amazing. And it's okay talking about it, but what strategies are we putting in place to help people day to day? We're raising a lot of money for mental health um, through charities and individuals. And we're talking about mental health a lot more. 
but um, there's still a lot of people struggling and we need to now start focusing on those little strategies for each person in each day. And I think it starts with the classroom. And that's really what I'm trying to get from my side is educating the younger generation on how to cope with anxiety, knowing the difference between depression and being sad. Um, you know, knowing that for every bad day you have, there's a lot of good that comes within the day, having a gratitude list and looking at the little things that you may have took for granted in that day. And we are in such a great way of the world now where in 2023, we have this access to phones where we, we can find so much on the internet. However, there's still that downside of that. And we're all prone to it where we can be on our phone a lot more than we should be. And it's trying to find that happy medium and that balance. And I mean, no one's perfect, not even the Australians, but in every corner and every place that you turn in Australia, there is mindful workshops, there's yoga, there's breath work, there's ice baths happening on the beach every morning. There's, if you put in Google the location that you're in, there'll be at least a hundred counselors within your walking distance. And there's a lot more mental health plans in workplaces so that you can afford to go to counselors, which is a big thing as well, being able to afford to talk to somebody. Um, so we have a lot to do and um, it's going to take a lot of work, but we're definitely getting there. And in terms of your own mind, I sometimes wonder that somebody who falls into this field of work so young that you came across it because of your your own, we'll say, demons. And I don't know your background or anything like that, but was it something that you felt you were drawn towards? And in terms of your mind as well, has what you do brought some stillness to the mind? But what has it brought to your life? Yeah, well, for me, Patrick, um, unfortunately, in, in my area and my community, when I grew up, um, there was a lot of suicides in my hometown. And, you know, I was only 14 when I heard the word suicide. And I couldn't fathom the idea of you know, I'd only ever heard of people dying because they were old and it really scarred me and and scared the life out of me. I remember not sleeping for weeks whenever the first suicide in our community happened because I couldn't work out. How would anybody not want to be here anymore? And then I started to understand it. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a chain of suicides. And, and I always said growing up, you know, I hope that when I grow up that I can help stop these things. I've always wanted to be a teacher. But I didn't know how to try and navigate that where I could start picking up on those signs. And that's always been at the forefront of everything that I've done. And um, it was only when I went to Australia that I started to delve into it a little bit more. I think over here, the, the word when I left, mental health, it, it you nearly, if you mentioned it in mm. my circumstances You're anyway. Going to, the men in the white coats were going to drag you away and lock you up for six months kind of thing, yeah? Yeah, you nearly just wouldn't say nothing. You think, yeah. I better not say anything here. Um, I don't want anyone to think that there's something wrong with me. Um, when in fact, we all have mental health. Everybody has mental health and you have to look after your mental health. But it took me to go to Australia and we were in the middle of the pandemic and I was really struggling. I couldn't get back to Ireland to be with my family. We were locked away from our families for nearly three years. And it was a very difficult time over there where you had everything you wanted at your, your doorstep um, and we were living life like normal, but you couldn't get back to the people that mattered. And that's when my values started to change and I started to connect into what really is life about. And if you don't have the people around you that matter, well, you don't really have anything despite all the money and the golden beaches and all of these things. So I started to delve into it and I started a podcast 
and it was I had no intentions of anyone ever listening to it. It was literally a 15 minute episode I recorded from my apartment and um, I bought a $30 Amazon microphone. My students taught me through Zoom classes how to, you know, press record. And I just went online for 15 minutes and just said, you know, all of you guys that watch our Instagrams living abroad and you see these golden beaches and this lifestyle, just know that we've, we have bad days too. And honestly, Patrick, those 15 minutes changed my life because I didn't realize that it wasn't just me that was feeling that way. And I tapped into expats all over the world who had been away from their families for a very long time, not even just the pandemic, but in life in general, where we do just show the highlights online and there's a lot more that comes with it. And it really opened up this conversation of, all right, not everybody's not everybody's doing well. And then it went from there, from strength to strength, where I started to host events and ho- like bring people together. I started the Sunrise Social on a Saturday morning in Sydney. And there's now 35 Sunrise Socials all over the world where we meet every Saturday all over the world on a um, Saturday morning on a beach, wherever we get up for sunrise and we watch the sun coming up. And it's all about that type of mindset of no matter how dark the day was or how dark the week was that the sun will always rise again tomorrow and that you're not on your own um, and it's to try and get people out my age out of the bars not like it's okay to go out and have a good time but having a bit more of a balance to your lifestyle I know that for me being out there and throughout university and stuff you know I just drank my way through every weekend and maybe had one good night out if I even had a good night out or I just drank myself into oblivion and then next thing it was Monday morning again. So I'm trying to show people, you know, try and look after your mental health, have a great time, but at least you'll wake up on Monday morning and know that before you went out in your night out, you actually watched a beautiful sunrise and met some new people so that you, you feel a little bit more fulfilled before you start your week. So it's gone from strength to strength. Yeah, there's a tendency, alcohol, um, Ruth was saying that you'd, you'd given up alcohol for some period of time. I think very often we we kind of drink it's to drown out the mental noise. So maybe that's some of our our ways of of doing that. Now I'm only I've give off come off drink about five five weeks ago. I'm not quite into the same journey as you are. But uh, how's it going for you, by the way? Yeah. So uh, and don't knock yourself, Patrick, because five weeks or six months like me, it's. It's, it's tough, especially the culture that we've grown up in. You know, there's been many times where I've gone to reach for a hot whiskey when I'm feeling run down and realize that that's alcohol. You know, um, it's been part of our lives growing up and um, very much part of every celebration or even, you know, in times of sadness where um, it brings people together. But it, it's going really well for me. I never thought that I could give up drink and I, you know, had a really bad hangover one day, a really bad, and I've done plenty of I'm never drinking again moments. Um, But at 31, I think my values have shifted and changed. And I thought, you know, between staring down at my phone most of the day and the other half of, you know, working to try and get to the weekend and then going out and trying not to remember the weekend, I thought, you know, what am I going to remember when I'm 80 years old and what things are not serving me? the most in my life I have a very busy life especially being in Sydney in the rat race and I thought you know something's got to give here in order for me to still maintain this busyness and hecticness and try and spread this positive message around the world that is a very busy schedule 
And I thought the one thing that I could eliminate that was giving me the most anxiety was alcohol. You know, even before I'd go out on a night out, the the week leading up to it, I would have anxiety knowing how I'm going to feel the following week based on that one night out. So I gave it a try and I went out one night out with zero drink. Um, it was like zero alcohol. Nobody around me noticed that I wasn't drinking. Um, you know, I was having mocktails. I was having Heineken zeros. And I realized, you know, that I'm still the same person with or without drink, albeit, you know, you have to find that little bit more confidence at the beginning of the night to try and, you know, strike up a conversation or dance on the dance floor sober. But it it just takes a couple of minutes to shake that and then you feel so much better for it. So it's been a massive game changer for me. I don't know about you. How are you feeling? I think it's interesting. I, I suppose... I didn't really plan on anything. I just said I'd give it a go and one week led to the next. And I took it like one of those things, you know, when an alcoholic is doing, taking it one day at a time, get through this day. And that's what I was saying to myself. We'll say, see one week. So I'm not sure where it's going to go to. I might continue until Paddy's day. I might go beyond it. Um, I feel energy levels is much better. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that, you know, when things are work, 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 you're almost the the few drinks at the weekend is kind of that that reward that's that carrot but we don't take take into consideration then that the few weeks in the weekend of course it's going to disrupt sleep if you have a hangover if you've drank too much and that carries into monday tuesday wednesday and even if even if we have a disruption to our sleep rhythm so say for example we normally go to bed at about 10 o'clock at night and at the weekend, if we go to bed at one o'clock, well, there's three hours of a difference. And it will take us two to three days to catch up on that. And so I think there's a lot in it, Caroline. You know, I really, really do. And I actually think it can be fun because when you're the rest of the people are getting drunk, you're there, you're totally sober. You're actually getting high on their high. And you're even probably getting higher because, you know, you're not going to have the hangover tomorrow. Yeah. Morning, so. <laughs> Absolutely. So. It could be the the cute whore thing in that one as well. (laughs) It's so true. Um, I think it depends on the people you're with. I think that's been the biggest thing for me. If I'm with good people, the crack's good, the music's good, then I can stay out all night. But if I'm sitting in a quiet old man's pub, you know, on a Friday night, I'm going to go home after an hour because I'm going to get sleepy. Um, But there's a really nice feeling of being able to know that you don't have to worry about standing out in the cold, waiting for a taxi until three or four o'clock in the morning that you just hop in your nice warm car and drive home. So I'm I'm trying to implement that and show people that because there's a lot of people, Patrick, that actually don't want to drink. You know, I put it up on my question box and the other day in my stories and so many people started with the same sentence of I'd love to give up drinking, but and I thought, you know, you're answering your own question. You want to stop drinking. So there shouldn't be a but Just stop. And yeah, it's. I really wish I'd never touched the drink to, to ever begin with. Um, it, it makes such a difference to my anxiety, my mental health throughout the week. Like you say, your sleep pattern. It was the knock-on effects that occurred from that one night out that would, you know, affect my mental health for the rest of the week. And I would feel that tightness in my chest. And that's where I, you know, do the inner work with the breath work because the anxiety leading up to and after that night out. Mm. It's the one drug that you have to tell people, sorry, that you're not taking it. There's that kind of pressure that's felt on people, you know. Um, 
So in terms of breathing exercises, do you feel it's brought a, a quietness to your mind? Like what are the benefits in terms of, because this is something that I get a bit confused with. I think that the breathing exercises have actually brought quite a space to my thinking um, because normally what characterizes somebody with anxiety or panic disorder is that they, they've quite an active mind, that their mind is racing. And I believe it is possible to to quieten the mind, but not everybody does. And so there's kind of a mixed view out there. So what's your take on it? I got introduced to breath work during lockdown in Sydney. I got chatting to my friend Ronan, who he runs um, Breathway of Ireland. And... Oh, Ronan O'Brien. Yeah, great yeah. one. So I connected with him on um on Zoom, you know, because we were, it was at a strange time in Australia where we went into lockdown when Ireland then opened up again. So we were looking through the phones at everybody's lives. And, uh, you know, we were, I was working from home, teaching from home 12 for 12 weeks. It wasn't as an extreme of a lockdown as what you guys had. But again, we had no families. We were, you know, in lockdown in small apartments in Australia, 10,000 miles away from family. So there was a lot of demons that started to come out for a lot of people who struggled. And Ronan actually got in touch with me and um, he said, you know, just jump on to one of our our calls. Um, And I thought, I don't know, like, I'm not into this witchcraft stuff, you know, (laughs) because that's what I thought. I thought, I don't know about this. You know, I like my CrossFit. I like doing all of these things, but this is on another level for me. Um, and I didn't go on and he kept sending me the link every week. He was so good. And I thought maybe after the fourth or fifth week, I thought, I'll give it a go. You know, things aren't getting any better here. Maybe I'll just try it. And I couldn't believe Patrick, the, the effect that I had from a laptop where I literally lay down in a dark room. I had the pillows under my legs and I had his lap, my laptop and his voice coming through the laptop. And I did the, the breath work and it was the most, it, it, I don't know how to describe it to anyone other than it felt like I left my body and that I was no longer in my body, but I was actually gravitating towards the sudden or something. It was the most sensational feeling. And it's like when, when you tap into the, to that process where you're really connected and it does take some time, you know, it took maybe six, seven minutes the first time. And with practice, every, every time you go into it, the more and more you do it, you can get into it quicker, but all my problems started to disappear. And I started to connect with how powerful earth is, how powerful the human body is, how connected we are to the earth. When you really quiet in the mind, quiet in the busy city life. And you actually just sit at peace. And there's a real appreciation when you come out the other end because it actually flies. We, we were doing it for 60 minutes. And I thought, I'm not going to last 60 minutes. My brain can't switch off that length of time. But next thing you know, the 60 minutes were up and you kind of come out of it and you think, I can do anything I want to in life. It connects you to a power that you didn't even know was out there, a higher power that I didn't know existed. And it made me think, shit we're not on our own here you know there is there's some sort of spirit there's some sort of human connection to the earth to the grind to the beliefs whatever it is you have and I just thought wow you know um, and it became infectious for me where I just thought you know more and more people need to do it and it's like you say where not everybody gets into it so I was saying to people that were struggling you need to try this like this is amazing and then I was taking a couple of friends of mine to the likes of Dino's classes in Sydney 
and coming out at the end being like, wasn't that unreal? Didn't you love it? And they were like, oh God, I don't know about that. You know, I couldn't switch off. I couldn't do it. And I thought, you're missing out. You're missing out. You need to give it another go. But people, not everybody has the same attention span. And especially in the world we live in now, you know, the average attention span is something like eight seconds with scrolling on the internet. So it does take some work, um, but it should be a powerful technique that I'm trying to implement now in the education system. Um, I think it needs to be brought more and more to our attention. And it's not something new. You know, when you look back at tribes throughout the years and generations that we've lived in, this is something that has always been there and it's free and we're not doing it. It's crazy. It's we're not doing it. It's a, it's a question what I've asked and you you mentioned witchcraft here. I often feel that the custodians of breathing, they have done a very poor job at it. And mm. people will say I'm judgmental, I'm this, that and the other, so be it. It's put a lot of people off. There's nothing left to feel about breathing. These are the techniques that you're teaching people how to change states. You know, to be more resilient to be able to deal with difficult situations, to be calm and collected, not to react with hyperventilation, to improve your sleep, to improve your athletic performance, to improve your mental performance. There's nothing beads about this or robes or anything like that. You don't need any paraphernalia. And I have to say, Caroline, as I said, and I think I said it before we come on, I wish my school teachers had taught me because I left school originally at 14 years of age I had such a sense of frustration with the whole education system in Ireland. I had sleep disorder breathing, which of course was undiagnosed. I was very tired in class, but I was a mouth breather and an upper chest breather. So I was in that constant sympathetic drive and my attention span was very poor. And the problem with a reduced attention span is that the mind is agitated. I never considered that anxiety and I'm sure many people don't, but yet they know that they have quite an agitated mind. And as you alluded to, your friends that started it and they said they couldn't switch off. And, you know, that's part of the process. But this is the wider story that we need. And I think there's a tremendous timing here. And it's taking the woo-woo out of breathing and it's making it so accessible for the normal individual. And if this was brought into the education system, and I'll say this about the education system. I did go back to school, by the way, when I was 15. I got my degree. Uh, I had to study damn hard for it because when you don't have concentration, you're looking at the page of the book, but your attention isn't on it because your attention is stuck in your head. Could have been a lot easier. And then I was thrown into the corporate world and uh, I didn't like that. And just by chance, I read a newspaper article, you know, about the importance of breathing. But can you imagine that we go to school for 12, 14, 16 years and we're not taught how to concentrate? So the kids now that you're working with, that you're getting this out to, you're giving those to kids the capacity to be able to hold their attention. First, we do it to the breath, but we also do it to bring a balance to physiology, you know? So I think it's tremendous what you're doing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, witchcraft. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's I, funny you know, because I... I um... I, you know, I've been trying to like tap into even my parents, you know, I find that the older generations struggle to cope with things that I feel like our younger generation know now how to access and strategies to cope with things a lot better. I think we're definitely evolving in humanity. Um, And I said, you know, to my dad one day, because he would catastrophize things, you know, if he's stressed out, it would be, oh God, you know, this has happened. And then it'll, it'll come back down. But 
I, there was one day I said to him, you know, dad, come out the back here with me when I was home last summer. And I just put on Wim Hof, you know, five minutes breathing technique. And I said, I want you to listen to this guy. Like I'm obsessed with him. I think he's amazing. You know, just close your eyes and we're going to lie here and we're going to do this for five minutes. And it was only three rounds of breathing. And dad came out the other end, you know, where his fingers were tingling. And um, he felt like he connected to, to, you know, a higher power right there. My dad would be very religious anyways. And he said to me, I really love that. And I said, look, there was five minutes of our day, like five minutes. That's all it took. And, you know, even for me, you know, I have my ice bath out the back and I have my breath work and anyone could access it on YouTube at any time. But we don't do it, Patrick. And this is the thing. We have to train our minds. And even for me, as much as I advocate it, you know, there's plenty of days where I look out the back and see that ice bath and want to get into it and slow my breathing down. But I, I think, ah, oh, not today or I'm too busy today. And we now need to embed it into our everyday routine where it's not an, it's a non-negotiable where you must do it. It has to be done as much as you have to wash yourself and brush your teeth every morning. Your breath work should be part of everyday routine. And the same with students, you know, we're, I'm finding in the education system that we're quick to diagnose students with disorders um, you know, and label them. And then th those kids go on throughout their lives with labels where they think I'm not good enough because I have this, but we're not actually tapping into let's put some strategies in place, not just extra reading time, not just, you know, a squidgy ball to help your anxiety in an exam. Let's actually give you coping mechanisms for not just your exams, but for life when yes. you're feeling this type of overwhelm and anxiety, let's find out how to tap into your breath work. Let's start that with your morning routine before you reach for your phone in the morning as a child, you know, let's do your breath work, then put on your school uniform, then go to school. Then at lunchtime, if you're struggling, go into the bathroom and do a couple of minutes breath work again and see how you feel. We're not doing that enough. And that really needs to be put at the forefront of all education system. Yeah, I would agree. And you can do it very subtly, as you know, you know, something happens, child can be sitting in the classroom, nobody even knows they're doing it. And even by just having that slow, you don't even have to take in this big breath to have a relaxed, slow exhalation. Like the speed of the exhalation is the body telling the brain whether you're, you're stressed, if you're breathing out fast during rest, or if you have that really slow, relaxed, gentle breath out, the body is telling the brain that the body's safe. That's all the brain wants. The brain wants to look after the body. And the Absolutely. brain wants to keep the body, you know, in terms of keep the safety there. So we we can we can communicate to the to the brain what we want to communicate. So things don't go right, and things don't go right. That's the way it is. And I think probably there's an increased pressure as well with this kind of instant gratification society that we do expect things to happen perfectly, and it's all about perfectionism. And then we go on Instagram. And we're looking at the individual who does their posts and they're all beautiful looking people. And they're saying to themselves, oh, my God, Jesus, I'm not like that person. So <laughs> I'm inferior to that person there. They're so much better looking than I am. And that's a natural tendency. But we have to bear in mind that the people who are doing the posting are the people who kind of know that they're pretty good looking. So the normal people like myself say we're not <laughs> in it. But uh, but my point here is that with the 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 simple tools to bring it one into one's life so you do you bring it into the classroom yeah um for a lot of the times 
I, you know, at least once in the week, um, you know, with the schedule is so busy, but you can feel the energy. I think the more you start to connect with your breath and the more work you do, you feed off energies a lot better. Um, and I find that even just within meeting people or friendships, you know, I, I start to connect more from doing all this breath work and inner work with energies. And I, I feel like, you know, oh, I don't like that energy or, you know, that person I've, I've just met, I probably I'm happy not to meet them again because I, I'm not feeding off the same energies or else the opposite where it's like, they're my kind of energy. And in the classroom, you can tell within seconds, you know, what energy levels the kids are on. And, you know, there's no point in sitting them down and hammering them with work if they're not connected to their, their good energy levels. So sometimes throughout the week, we'll, you know, get them to lie down and do a little bit of work on themselves. And, you know, that's the most important thing. If you can't focus on, you know, looking after yourself first, what hope have you got to sit and study and do something for the sake of having to do it? There's so much to tap into. And it's like I say constantly, Patrick, where our mental health is like a kitchen floor that you constantly need sweeping. And I've heard Brian Keane say that before, and it's a really good terminology because none of us have it figured out, you know, and the, the two of us here on this podcast and anyone that's listening that thinks we know what we're doing, it's just consistency and it's keeping it up. And you'll notice if you stop doing it for a few weeks or, you know, the likes of Christmas I struggle with where the routine goes out of place. And when that routine shifts, so does my mental health where I'll struggle and I'll think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough for, I can't do this, or maybe I need to do more. And as soon as I get back in a routine and I embed the, the breath work and the cold water therapy together, and the breath work is so powerful. You know, you, you've heard Wim Hof talking about how he was able to actually breathe the flu out of his system when they injected him with those, um, you know, injections. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did all of that. And he was able to use the power of breath even child labor, you know, they talk about when a woman goes through child labor, it's like breaking something like 96 bones in the body. And what do the nurses tell her to do? Breathe, you know, breathe mm. that this has been in our systems for a really long time. And it's so important. And it's really nice to see more guys being part of it now than ever before. I think before this, any type of mental health work, we were tapping into a lot of females, but the breath work is really tapping into a lot of men, which is fantastic. And Pat Devley does a lot of great work with it as well, you know, and it's become cool, which is great. But what I want it to be is not just cool and trendy. I want it to be consistent and I want it to be part of your life forever and not just something that you picked up on as a hobby. Mm. It is about bringing it into, we can be doing it here as we're talking. Yeah. You know? And after this, you might go for a walk. And instead of going for a walk with our attention stuck in our head, we can bring our attention inwards and softening and slowing down the exhalation. I think it's a great little tool because you, you made the point that we seldom give attention to ourselves. Everything is taking our attention, Caroline. And last night I was talking to people in California and they said that some of their relatives, the young kids, 19 year olds or whatever, they're up till five o'clock in the morning looking into a mobile phone. They're giving this phone this platform all of their attention and that when we scientists have looked at it when we are scrolling on a phone we're just skimming it skimming 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 so then when we go to read the book we're not actually holding our attention on the book because we're still in that skimming mode and we're missing the content mm -hmm. 
And the one thing about, say, reading a book would be is that it kind of slows down the mind because we're, you, can't, you cannot speed read. If you try and read something quick, you'll pick up on a few things. In order to pick up the information, you have to slow everything down. And it's a great training for this. So in terms of then, you're talking about we're not giving ourselves some attention, but we're giving everything else attention. What's your typically day when you go to get up in the morning? Um, what do you do with regards to the mobile phone? What do you say to the, the kids that you're working with? What, what's, what age group, by the way, are they? Yeah, so I'm teaching 11 to 18 year olds, which yeah. is primetime phones. Yeah, perfect. And it's uh, it's scary to be honest because they, what I'm trying to implement in them, you know, I find sometimes I go in and slip into bad habits myself. But um, what I try and do to look after my mental health, and it it comes and goes, you know, in in times it depends, you know, how busy the week is. But I'll always come back to that whole idea of this phone is not serving me purpose. Um, I am so grateful for social media for being able to spread my message. And that's what I want to do. But I do find myself going into it more than I should be. I've even tried those lock apps, you know, where you lock it and then you can actually then say 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. And then I'll go back in and I'm going again and going again. And it's only since being at home, Patrick, that my family have said to me, you're on your phone a lot. And then I kind of thought, God, you know, I've come home here to spend time with my family because my values have changed since the pandemic and being away for so long. Now that my parents are getting older, there's a baby coming in our family. I've come here to be with my family and I'm sitting staring into this phone, not any the wiser for being here. You know, I may as well be in Sydney because I'm not even listening to what they're saying to me. So a good day for me looks like this, where I literally get up every morning and my dad, he now takes the phone off me. I mean, I'm 31, right? He takes the, but I want him to, he takes the phone off me at seven o'clock in the evening. And that's, he takes it away from me physically has to take it away from me. I have this lock box. Um, I, I bought off Amazon. I really recommend it for anyone where you put your phone in and you can put a timer on it and you literally cannot access your phone. It, it locks it. Um, and, you know, even with, with it sitting there, it's a bit like my ice baths where just because it's sitting there doesn't mean I use it. So I need to physically have someone hold me accountable and say, where's your phone? So dad takes that off me at seven o'clock in the evening. I go to bed that night and um, it means I do my evening routine and the evening routine and morning routine are key, I think, for your mental health. So I'll go into the room and um, I'll dim the lights. I bought this beautiful sunrise lamp um like an alarm clock you get on amazon just as you um, say an alarm clock i'm sorry there because my alarm clock is after going off. A, <laughs> that means it's time to go home <laughs> and it is it is on flight mode but even still no you're grand but i bought this alarm clock and it's like one of those um sads light you know where um it's got like the led light in it to feel like a sun's rising but i go into my bedroom in the evenings I do my evening routine and start being more present in the moment where I'm tapping into my breath. I'm tapping into my mind, even when I'm just like washing my face, you know, I'm slowly doing it, checking in on myself. How am I feeling today? How was today? Then I'll get into bed and I bought this beautiful diary. Um, it's called the five minute journal. You can get it online on Amazon, it's maybe 15 pound. And you have to write three things that you're grateful for that happened to you that day. And it's great, Patrick, because it makes you, you've no phones around you because that would be, I might still do those things, but I might actually be looking at my phone at the same time or in between not focusing on my breath and the day that I've had. 
and you focus in on things like, oh, you know what? I thought I didn't really have a good day, but that coffee this morning with my dad was really nice. Or that walk that I had with my dog was just really lovely. Things that I didn't think I would ever get to do again. And you tap into your actual mental health and how you're really doing. And then there's a, a lovely bit at the end where it says, what have I learned from today? And usually at the end of each day, I write, I'm on my phone too much or I'm doing this. And it's a learning process. But then I get up the next morning, my phone's not there. I can't reach for my phone. And again, I do that morning at least 30 minutes before I reach for my phone because it's downstairs physically out of my way. I do my morning routine and that might just be washing the face, you know, putting your deodorant on, spraying your perfume, but being more present. And this is something I'm trying to implement with my students because they are doing that. They're sitting on TikTok till 4 a.m. in the morning. And I read an article where it said it's almost like um, the slot machines in a gambling you know, um, with gambling and they just constantly slot. They're, they're looking for their next fix. And that's what, when they update their reels, you know, refresh, refresh. And it's such a worry what we're going through. This is a totally different type of pandemic that we're dealing with here. And a lot of parents are coming to us saying, how do we fix this? What do we do? And I keep saying the first thing we need to do is remove technology. We need to put that when it comes to the evening times, get one of those lock boxes. You can get the family charging devices, but have those devices that no child should have their phone in their bedroom. None. Um, if they're going to have phones, then fair enough, but they shouldn't have their phones past a certain time and start tapping into the inner work because we're seeing a, a totally different type of mental health crisis come up in the younger generations where we've kind of escaped that, but they are now growing up with that whole social media thing. They, they can access, you know, Google what I do if I've got anxiety, but they're looking for quick fixes and it's a long process. And that's where breath work comes in and slows you down. Um, and like I say, it's been done for a long time before. And I've gone to visit um, temples with monks mm. and, you know, monks are the best people to learn from because that's what they do. A lot of time they spend in nature, in quiet and they tap into their breath work. They do Tai Chi where they push the energies, the bad energies out. And these people live longer because they're working on their mental health on a daily routine basis and they're happier people for it. And there's more, there's so much more as well to it. Um, a couple of points there. You're very aware of, of the phone and the effect it's having on you. And I'm just thinking about the individual who isn't as aware. And as parents, um, I have a 12 year old going on 18 in there and uh, keeping her on even monitoring her on a mobile phone and like you know sometimes when you're bringing up kids you'll always relate back to your own childhood and you'll always think well what did my parents do here but we didn't have any of this we're we as parents are completely new to this and literally we have not got a clue and then just the whole thing is that well do you want to be absolutely strict? And there's the balance between am I too strict? Am I too easy? Am I lettering away with it? Am I not? It's a it's a tough question. I really feel that the the major multinational platforms, they are really, really sinister. We have no idea of the, the amount of behavioral psychologists and, and psychoanalysis that they have brought in to purposely make people addicted to their devices. It is worse than tobacco. Yeah. It is, you know, and there's no question and nobody is. Well, there's very, very few people having this conversation, Caroline. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I think it's, it, where is it going to go to? Now, what was that? It was something that was going to come in there. You were talking about your parents as well. Your dad is quite religious, which is quite interesting because, see, the older generation as well, they, they did have religion to resort to in terms of their mental health. So there's a void now. So, for example, I would say most people under 50 years of age, like myself, we don't go to church. I would consider spirituality as being in connection with everything around us. But when they looked at studies of people who were saying prayers, whether it was a yoga mantra or the rosary religion, it slowed down the respiratory rate down to six breaths per minute, which is an optimum to bring balance to the autonomic nervous system. So prayer wasn't just about the spirituality and the belief that there's a higher being looking after you, but prayer also changed your breathing pattern. It was a breathing exercise without it being a breathing exercise. So when you talk about the ancient civilizations doing it, they were doing it. We have always been doing this to some degree, but oftentimes not caked or in that language, you know. Um, men going to breath work. Why do you think men now are, is it, what, what would attract from your perspective, men that will do breathing exercise? What do they want to get out of it? Do you think? It's interesting because, you know, it's one thing that I'm still kind of like, you know, it's amazing that it's happening and seeing more men's groups popping up where they're doing this breath work. I think all it takes is one or two strong figures to really put the message out there and be vulnerable and say, you know, I'm struggling. Um, the likes of Pat Devley, I think he's done fantastic work for the Irish community by being raw and honest on his podcasts. Um, I've had Brezzy on my podcast before, who's a massive mental health advocate. Um, just having some strong, relatable figures talk about these things. Tyson Fury, I met Tyson in August and, you know, to hear the world champ talking about, you know, suicidal thoughts it's made it okay to talk about these things, but it's very hard for men to, you know, when I host these events and wellness retreats and different types of things, trying to get a guy to come to sunrise and, you know, watch the, the sun come up with a coffee. We don't get as many coming to that and we do yoga and meditation and things like that. But as soon as I bring Dino in from Bondi Rescue to do some breath work and ice baths, guys are all over it, which is fantastic. And I think there's something really masculine in a, in a sense of being able to go into the ice baths and they're implementing them more in GAA clubs which is fantastic as well it's part of the recovery of their you know exercise and on top of that the bonus is the mental health aspect but there's a real you know strong powerful feeling you know even when I get in the ice baths and you hear people say god how are you doing that and you think oh this is I must be pretty tough to do this there's a, a toughness that comes with it that, that associates with it and the breath work needs to be done before you get in the ice bath. So it comes hand in hand, um, which is fantastic. And I just think it's really good that we're getting there with with that side of things. Um, but like like I say, you know, just going into ice baths once a week and doing five minutes breath work is not going to cut it. You need to be consistently working on your breath. Um, and, it, you know, even going to work in the mornings, if you're stuck in traffic and you're late, no matter how much practice I do, there's going to be days where I'm thinking, God, I'm late, I'm late and get myself all worked up. But now I know the coping strategies of <sighs> slow down, slow down, start nasal breathing more. You know, Dino taught me to strap my mouth up at nighttime and really use that breath, like you said, with 
nasal breathing um, and slowing down that breath and slowing down your chest and your your heart rate and overall it's just it's so powerful and so important and not enough people know to tap into this you know you don't have to go to an event to, to do these things that you can start it right now listening to this podcast yeah and I think it's even more than just mental health say for example you, you we might have somebody listening and they're saying well I don't have any mental health issues and that that's fine but how about the ability to what we were talking about earlier on attention and concentration and focus. I was working with a couple of footballers and they're from the premier league. And I was talking about pre-match anxiety, you know, because we use a course breathing exercise to change states going in and whatever. And uh, I was talking about pre-match anxiety and he was having none of it. He got total pushback off him. So I said, okay, it's not, that's not going to work. So the next session then, because I was working with him over a few sessions, we start talking about flow states, getting into this state of mind that when you go out onto that field, no matter what's happening, that your attention is moving simultaneously with time and that you're literally ready to go through a brick wall. And we had Michael Conlon here as well, going back a few months ago. You know, Michael yeah. uh, is from Belfast. And I have to say, like, what an individual, what an athlete. And bringing it all in as well and practicing it so there's there's the mental health side of it, which is perfect, but there's the other side of it, the performance-based side of it. Mm-hmm. There's that ability to be able to be absolutely in the moment. And you can imagine, you know, if we were watching, say, I remember there was a Schumacher documentary, it's on Netflix, and Schumacher spoke about that when he was driving, that he and the car became one. And it's that his attention is so immersed in what he is doing that there's no differentiation between him and the car and what he is doing and him, him and the task that he is doing. And that's a state of bliss. And we can tap into that through the, the breathing, you know? So I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. I think um, what's your thoughts on it in terms of, by the way, I know I'm a little bit all over the place because I never write questions. So sometimes things go into my head. The 18-year-olds, do you get any pushback from the 16-year-olds, 13-year-olds? Oh, yeah. They, um, you know, not uh, the attention spam of teenagers in general is is pretty tough to get. You'll get a bit of giggling, you know, when we're trying to do the breath work and you get a little bit of, you know, they'll be whispering into their friends' ears and you're wanting to tap into them, but... The biggest thing is you need to be ready to do it. No matter who you are, you need to really need it. And not everybody needs that. And it's like you say, you know, people will say that they don't have mental health issues. You might not have any mental health issues, but we all have mental health and you might not need it today, but you're going to need it at some stage in your life where you might be going through grief. Like you say, it could be pre-performance. Um, I do a lot of high adrenaline sports, um, you know, the likes of CrossFit and, you know, I... I did my first 15 K run, which isn't a big run, but for me, I don't run at all. And I had no training prior to it because I didn't have time. Um, but I was running for Sydney children's hospital and I thought I need to run here and I, my body's not ready for it. And I tricked my mind and my breath into continuing to run. And I ran that 15 K with no training. I don't recommend it. It was the recovery after was awful. And my body was stiff, but in my mind, I just focused on my breath. I didn't focus on where I was, how far I had to go, where I needed to be. 
you know, I didn't look up to see, you know, have I got a big hill coming that way? I focused on my breath and I focused on being present. And it was powerful what your mind can put you through. And I refer to Brian Keane again, but I remember Brian talking about he did three back-to-back marathons in the Sahara Desert. Um, and he, you know, damaged his Achilles heel and he was in excruciating pain. And he continued to run because he was able to put his mindset into, I need to get this finished. Um, you know, the, the mind is so powerful and mind over matter over anything. You know, you can trick your mind into really devastating yourself and making yourself feel like, Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. I've had the worst day. Um, nothing's going right for me. Or you can totally rewire your brain into saying everything's going to be all right. And the people that matter are the ones that are around me. It is so powerful and it is more than just doing a couple of breaths. You're fixing everything in your body to focus on whatever it is you're going through and get through it. Um, it is the biggest coping mechanism in in the world and it's it's so easily accessed like I say but yeah there's my students you need to want to do it as well and sometimes people will come to me as when I'm at the other side of the world in Australia and some of my friends are after a night out here you know there's the odd time I would get the the drunk messages from friends here that are that's when their problems come out and they'll message me and say, you know what, I'm actually struggling. And it's unfortunate that we feel like we can only say those things after a few drinks, but they come to me then and say, you know what, I want to try that breath work. Um, and you need to know that it's there for you when you're ready to take it. Um, you know, not at three o'clock in the morning, like, but it is, it's there and it's accessible and we do, it needs to be implemented. Like who told us to get up every morning and brush our teeth and, why didn't those people say, and before you brush your teeth, tap into your mind, you know, how do we know to do all these things before going to work in the morning? But we, we aren't doing this, the most important thing. I think school teachers can be really influential and a good one can be absolutely life-changing for kids. I had some good ones. I had a lot of bad, a lot of bad ones. Yeah. I remember one in particular, English teacher Luke Brady, and there was a couple of things that he would have said in the class. And we were teenagers, you know, we weren't listening to him. But I still remember that stuff five and 10 years later. So I can only imagine I could have been those kids, that kid giggling away, not paying attention, but we were. Yeah. And you're planting that seed because I can only imagine it's not the easiest of tasks we have five 12 and 13 year olds inside at the moment mm-hmm. running around because there's a disco on later on. And that's just the way they are. And it's, it's great for them. I suppose. Yeah. The message that you give them now, they may not be outwardly expressing it to you, but that will stick that 20 years on 30 years on who knows. Um, breathing. Where do you think it's going? I think it's definitely evolving. My fear is that people will see it as a fad, you know, oh, this is this new thing. And this is what gets my back up a little bit when people say, oh, yeah, you're you're doing this new thing with the, the breath work and the ice baths. And, you know, it's almost like people treat it like it's a Zumba class where, oh, this is the new technique or it's a bit like air fryers. Everybody wants one now. But this needs to continue but the only way we can continue is through the likes of the government's financing this and pumping it into the education system and 
bringing it more to light. And I think it's not going anywhere because the effects are immediate with breath work. And that's the difference, you know, going to six or seven counseling sessions, you might not get the effect that you'd get from five minutes breathing. And that's what I keep trying to hone in. You know, um, I put up a TikTok the other day of it only took two minutes to change my life. And it, it blew up because it was true. It was the most effective two minutes of my life where I did my breath work and then I got into the water and I continued to breathe within that water and quieten the mind. And th- that was the most impact that I'd had than going to see someone when I was struggling or, you know, going to the doctor who would just try and put antidepressants on you. There's so many techniques that we aren't realizing have fast releasing impacts. Um, and it, it is, it's so powerful. So unless someone tries it, they're never going to know. And we need more and more events coming up, um, you know, that are in local communities for people to access. If you're out in the middle of Ireland and you know, you're nowhere near somewhere that has these things, you're not going to travel two hours down the road and stress yourself to try and de-stress yourself. So it needs to be more accessible. It really does. And we need more people educated and trained in breath work to be able to do this. And I think that needs to come from the likes of the government, putting people into Wim Hof breath work and training these people up and, and doing all these things and the likes of the amazing facility that you have there, you know, how fantastic that, that we have this here in Ireland. So I don't, I, I think it's, it's going in big places and social media is going to be the, the way that I'm going to try and advertise that and, and show that. And, you know, it's, I say this Patrick a lot where a lot of teachers, you know, you're not really meant to have a public Instagram page because there's a taboo of teachers aren't meant to have Instagram and, you know, I'm putting myself out there and in a very family friendly way, but I'm doing it to educate people and to educate students, not just my students, because I might only have 30 in front of me, but there's students all over the world that can then access that work. So um, I'm going to do my part and you're going to do your part. and We're going to change the world. <laughs> I think it's happening. I, it is. I definitely don't think it's going to go away at all. And actually, in fact, I can see that the point that it's it is literally going to be taught in schools. Um, how soon that is, I'm not sure, but I can see the day. I think it's I've you know personally I've seen it with over twenty years plus, and I've seen the effects it can bring to people. Caroline, we have to bear in mind as well that the science is really catching up at it too. You know, seventy five percent of people with anxiety and panic disorder have dysfunctional breathing. Seventy five percent. Their dysfunctional breathing is feeding back into their anxiety and panic disorder. Cognitive training does not change dysfunctional breathing. Their sleep routine is also impacted and breathing during the day is going to influence breathing during sleep. So even this is just this cohort of individuals. Then we have the whole sleep medicine aspect. We've got respiratory and then we've got the mental and physical performance. I think we've got a really exciting few years ahead, you know, Um. The final words to yourself, because we're going to bring it to, to a close. I'm conscious it's a Friday evening and you've got a lot better <laughs> things to be doing than just talking to me here. So what would you like to, well, first of all, how can people find find out about you? You can find me on um, Instagram and TikTok at A County Down Under and on Spotify and Apple, A County Down Under podcast, where I delve into topics like this all the time. Um, and you'll see me more around Ireland this year, you know, hosting more events and breath work and bringing that Australian attitude and mentality here and hopefully helping to save a lot of lives. 
Great stuff. Well, you know what? If you're coming to Galway, and um, make sure to to give us a shout. I will. So I'd love to come up and see what you're doing there. I think it's fantastic. I'll definitely. I've never been to Galway. Can you? Have you not? Wow. No. Oh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a treat. Yeah. <laughs> Caroline McKenna, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Oxygen Advantage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review. The Oxygen Advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers.